What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Carnes, joined as always by my co-host, Daniel Hammock. Daniel, a busy week 10 because we not only got, of course, a top three matchup in Athens, but a couple big upsets, a couple playoff contenders lose, potentially knocking them out of playoff contention. One for sure. One, I'm pretty sure, uh, which we'll get to, so... But we'll talk about all seven games we previewed as well as some other stuff. We'll hit on uh, what we think the committee's going to do on Tuesday night. But without wasting any time, Daniel, we got to start with the big one. We had a 1v1 matchup, number one in the AP, Georgia, number one in the, in the selection committee, Tennessee. Georgia wins 27-13 to 13 in Athens, and it didn't feel that close. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, this one was very much a, 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 my first feeling when I saw, started watching the game was Georgia was receiving. I'm like, okay, okay. So Georgia's trying to keep the ball away from Tennessee's offense, uh, maybe wanting to go ahead and get an early lead, you know? And I was like, okay, that's there. They mentioned starting fast and very important against this team. They come out and they fumble. And my first thought was, they can't Here lose possessions yep. in a game like this. Uh, and then Tennessee uh, comes down the field a little bit and then ends up being held to a field goal. And I counted that as a win for Georgia um, at the time, but still kind of wondering if that possession was going to come back to bite Georgia. Uh, it did not. They were able to drive down the field and score on the very next drive. Um, and so that kind of led to – okay, Georgia settled into this game. They've been here before. Um, but, I mean, the story is is Georgia's defense. I mean, we're questioning that was, you know, the matchup was Tennessee's offense versus Georgia's defense that we've been breaking down all day, every day for the past, you know, at least week. It's felt like three weeks. But, um, you know, would Georgia be able to slow them down or stop them? And most people were saying that, you know, nobody can do that. Um, I just, I, before the game, you know, you and I were talking and, you know, obviously we had the preview show. I just did not feel like Tennessee was going to score a lot of points. I did think it would probably be in the 20 something range. Um, but, you know, for the season, the lowest they've scored is 34. So definitely didn't, didn't know what to expect there. Georgia, they just manned up on Tennessee's receivers, their defensive backs did, and they, they stopped them. Uh, they stopped them from running the routes they wanted to run. They had some, you know, some penalties here and there, but they were really – the big thing was they were just challenging them at the line of scrimmage and getting them off of their rhythm. And you add that with what Kirby Smart was equating to an extra half a second that the pass rush was able to get off with the crowd noise – and between the two of those, Hendon Hooker was looking at a lot of red jerseys in the pocket. And I mean, what was it, nine sacks? So seven sacks. Seven uh, sacks. Georgia was aggressive on defense. So I went to the game. Uh, I was in Athens on Saturday. Uh, I mean, most of the people who listen to this show know where our loyalties lie <laughs> in this game. But uh, yeah, so I, I was at the game. 
and love being at a game, being able to see all, all 22 players. I uh, wish they'd show that more on TV, but man, G- Georgia did what we thought they would do on defense. They they manned up. They played press coverage. They were aggressive and physical with their receivers, and then multiple that times three or four, that's how they were in the defensive front as well. Uh, they held Tennessee to under 100 rushing yards with a five-man box. Um they threw their simulated pressures that they threw at Tennessee. That offensive line never caught on to where their pressure was coming from. Like you mentioned, seven sacks on Hinton Hooker, twice as many quarterback pressures. He was on the ground all night. Uh, and what it does is they had, especially early, they had a couple of times where Hyatt on a couple of deep balls broke free. Uh, Tillman had one. Brew McCoy had one. And the balls were not accurate because of the pressure that was in Hinton Hooker's face. And that's what getting pressure can do is you're able to like give up a step on the back end because the throw is just not going to be as accurate if he doesn't have all day. So I thought all the credit to Georgia's staff and players for how they practiced and prepared for this game. Uh, that was a team that walked in very confidently, going call and collected and knew their game plan and executed. And that's what championship teams do, Daniel. And then, I mean, on the other side of the ball, Georgia's offense, man. I mean, if again, I'm, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here. If you put this game in a vacuum and you were to ask me, like, hey, which of these quarterbacks is the Heisman front runner? I'd have picked 13 if I'm just watching this game. And I've been pretty public about my, uh, you know, not thinking Stet's that great at quarterback. Uh, but he played a great game in Athens on Saturday. And, I mean, wide receivers, not tight ends, wide receivers catching deep balls. I thought Munkin called a great game. There's some deceiving stats <laughs> if you're looking at total game uh, numbers for Georgia. So, I mean, I just pulled up first half stats because it's sad to say this in a top three matchup. This was over a halftime. Uh, if you're looking at first half stats, it was 24-6. Total yards, 306 to 139. Uh, rushing yards, 80 to 51. Passing yards, 226 to 88 in Georgia's favor. Third downs, 3 of 5 for Georgia, 1 of 7 for Tennessee. Uh, yards per play, 4.2 to 8.3. I mean, it it was complete and utter domination. And I'll, call, I'll give Josh Pitt credit for the stat. Uh, Tennessee on third and five or longer, was 0 for 9 on the night. And good night if you're doing that. Yeah, that was uh, kind of the tail of the game, um, you know, third downs. And then once once Georgia had the lead um, like that in the first half, the second half, Tennessee is continuing to go for it on fourth down, which many times they had to because they didn't know how much time they would have when Georgia, you mentioned it um, before we got on, but had that drive in the third quarter that basically ate up the rest of the third quarter. Um, I believe you said it was nine minutes. That drive alone is uh, is enough to kind of give juice to that defense, Kirby Smart's defense, just knowing that they have that rest, they come back in on this offense, and there's just little to no chance for – uh, Tennessee at that point to score enough to make it back in the game. Obviously, Tennessee does end up getting in the end zone in the second second half. Um, 
I think that that was kind of, a, you know, they needed to um, in, in multiple fronts, but I think they did a good job, Tennessee's side, of keeping this one from the box score and from the optics if you didn't watch the game or if you're just going to remember this game later, like maybe the committee later in the season uh, is going to be able to look back and say, oh, it was a two-touchdown game, but they're on the road, and it was 27-13, to 13, so – okay, that's not that bad of a loss. So I think that it will get, you know, it's only one loss. And if you look at the rest of the thing, I think Tennessee still, I mean, they're kind of after what, what else has happened, which we're going to get into from what else happened on Saturday, they're still sitting in a very prime position for a playoff spot. The door is open. I don't know if there's like them losing that game and then, and what happened in two different games in that seven, eight o'clock window, uh, I think they were able to go home and still sleep at night thinking, okay, we can get another shot at Georgia. Perhaps we can at least potentially make the playoff if we handle our business the rest of the year, which I think they have a favorable schedule the rest of the year. Um, so we'll see. This is what we think is a different Tennessee team from what they've had in the past. They just have to make sure going forward they don't have that hangover effect of losing this game and then it causing them to play poorly in the next game. So I, I think that they've got the team to win, the, win out like we expect um, and to potentially be in that top four. I know I'm teasing ahead what we might be talking about later. Uh, but, yeah, they are still in a great spot for that. Uh, but the, as far as the East, that's over. And as far as, you know, going to the SEC championship, potentially playing, you know, a team from the West to be named later, that's that's over. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, don't let Georgia beat you twice uh, if you're Tennessee. I mean, this game was one of the line of scrimmage. Uh, if you want to see a, a sign of a very well coached team, uh, go watch how Georgia tackled on Saturday. Uh that is how you beat a team like Tennessee. Because it's not just the deep balls that I think Tennessee's been successful on. It's taking a quick slant in space and taking that 75 yards like to the house. Uh, man, the way they tackled on Saturday was impressive. Uh, we'll talk more about Georgia here in a little bit. I want to get to our next game, Daniel. We, we turn the page. I get in the car, turn on Alabama LSU, and oh, it's first quarter. It's, you know, it's 3-3. Three, three. Okay. All right. Halftime was seven six. You know the the twenty eleven joke start rolling around and LSU just hanging there. And then Bryce Young gets the ball late, and I'm like, all right, well, we know how this one's going. Uh, <laughs> here he goes. Uh, LSU wins in overtime. They went for two. Perfect play call, Jaden. I mean, it was a great play call too on the first play. Their 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 touchdown play in overtime. Uh, Brian Kelly goes to the win and wins. And now LSU is in, they control their own destiny in the SEC West. They would have to lose twice for Alabama uh, to win the SEC West. And 10 and 2 LSU is very alive. Uh, I have a couple of points in this game, but want to throw it to uh, the captain of the LSU bandwagon, uh, Daniel. How are you feeling, man? Let's call this the Brian Kelly bandwagon because I've definitely, it was him coming to LSU, which gave me the confidence that they would have this kind of a season. Granted, way back in April and May when I was making this declaration early, 
That was largely based on Miles Brennan being the quarterback. I did not anticipate Jaden Daniels having this good of a season, uh, although I'm not surprised that he is growing under Brian Kelly, who he has shown in years past that if he has a mobile quarterback that can get out of a few things and kind of give them a little extra gear on offense, that he's dangerous. And my goodness, he, uh, he used him, you know, to perfection. Um, I will say late in the game, they, they were in the game the whole, the whole day, but late in the game, uh, LSU's offense really clicked. They were able to make those drives when they needed to. Um, you can tell the, the team is really taking after Brian Kelly as far as just being a, a very a disciplined, well-coached team. The defense, Matt House is doing a phenomenal job with the defense. Um, they had uh, Harold Perkins spying a lot of what uh, Bryce Young was doing. Um, I think that just the defense as a whole, the secondary, we had a lot of questions. They played up to the um, standard, I think, and that's a game that they give up, you know, 31 when you're counting the overtime. And the regular, you know, 24 points is not bad for, um, you know, regulation. So I I like how their defense played over the course of the game. Bryce Young, you know, you and I are still obviously super high on Bryce Young. We both think he should and will be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Um, he's just he's a special dude, um, but LSU they at the end of the game when they needed it the most they got it, and you look at the development of some of these players like tight end you know Mason Taylor caught the game winning two point conversion, caught a go ahead touchdown earlier in the fourth quarter. Um, he was responsible for I mean I won't say he's responsible for the loss to FSU at the beginning of the year, but he had some key drops and miscues down the stretch. And then now you look at him and he's helping them take down, you know, top 10, number six, Alabama. So uh, huge, huge, huge. And I heard this, I think it was Dari Noka said it on the SEC network when describing the decision uh, for Brian Kelly to go for two, um, that it was more, it was a decision not only for this year, but for going forward uh, with this team, with this, with this, uh, you know, state, with this, you know, organization, everything like that for Brian Kelly. It was his way of, you know, setting a, a standard and a statement um, by that one play, being able to really, you know, we've talked about fit in the past and there was a little bit of, not sure if he's going to fit this or that or the other. And I was like, well, when he wins 10 games this year, everybody's going to think he fits. And I was mostly tongue in cheek early when I said that, but now the more it's kind of coming to fruition, you're seeing the effect he's had on this team. Um, this is a very proud fan base. If you're loyal to them, they'll be loyal to you. Um, personally, I feel this with my uh, sister-in-law and her family who are all huge LSU fans. They were very not in on, uh, on coach Kelly to start with. They didn't like the fake Southern Cajun accent that he tried to creep in there. Um, and then they all still love their own, even Ed Orgeron giving them two 500 seasons. When I told her that I think that they're going to win 10 games this year, 
she was like, no, you're crazy. They're going to win three. And I was like, okay. And then now here we are and I'm getting texts from them and their side of the family saying, Hey, what we believe now. To be completely fair. I still don't get it. I still don't get how they've done it. I still think they've benefited from some luck. But here they are. It's they college football, Jacob. I, it's college football. It is college football. So I can't believe I can't believe I'm saying this with Alabama. Two huge coaching misses in this game. Going for two both times. You kick an extra point either one of those times, you win the game. Because that, that drive at the end to go kick the game-tying field goal, if you kick the extra point one time, you won by one. You kick the extra point twice, you won by two. I am all for advanced analytics. I get it. I've looked at the charts. I did not get either of those times uh, kicking the extra point, especially after not getting the first one. At that point, I mean, the math was there. They scored to go up. It was 21-17. to 17. So at that point, LSU, it's already a four-point game. So LSU needs a touchdown regardless. If you get the two-point conversion, it's 23-17, to 17, which means a touchdown ties it, extra point wins. So it does you no benefit. like Because an extra point's like a 99% sure thing, right? So like, right. what are the odds you get the two-point conversion? It's not 99%. So at that point, kick the extra point. You go up five, which again, a field goal does you nothing. But what do they do? They... Missed the two-point conversion. LSU does go down and score a touchdown. They go up 24-21. So then when Alabama's last drive happened, uh, instead of going to tie the game, they could have been going in for the win and ended up costing them a game. So, again, we talked about it in the Tennessee game, too. Coaching blunders by Alabama. I just – this is not the Alabama from, from two years ago or beyond that. Uh, it's – I mean, it's saving done. Like, th- this staff, he- he's got to be sick of it. It's strange to say that because uh, Alabama just never loses multiple uh, games in the regular season. Um, I guess they did it, was it 2019, right before they went on their 2020 tirade well, of destroying And I'll everybody. say, Tua got hurt, and they lost to Auburn by three that year, and it wasn't yeah. coaching blunders. This is twice coaching blunders of coffee. No, this – I'm curious if because uh, Jacob, we came into this year coming off of last year with Alabama, coming into this year saying they got the two best players in the country, which they still might have. I mean, we definitely think Bryce Young is number one player. I'm not cooling yes. off on Will Anderson. Uh, no. There's been other defensive players that may have emerged this year that are getting more run just because you know, they're kind of popping on the scene. Well, Anderson still would take him, you know, number one, number two overall in the NFL draft. We're talking about that, but you just talk about players. You got the best offensive player, best defensive player, two most important positions if you're counting those. And then they, a a roster full of four and five stars and it's just not working. And like, you know, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense at Alabama. Um, Like, I get it if you're transitioning to a new quarterback. I get it if you – you know, there's all these things where I can get it. I just – it doesn't click with this. So, 
<laughs> it's so weird to talk about Saban being done, but it's about on his terms. If he wants to be done, like right. if he's done, like if he's checked out, it's not if he's done, like, no, he could, he, he could keep running out there and doing it if he wants to, but right, does, right, he right. Want, is, does he want, does he want to? to? Yeah. That's my question. That no, and I'm just kind of reframing it for, our, for everybody to kind of be on the same wavelength with us because that's how, that's how it seems. You know, you referenced, was it Bud Elliott said that he thinks he's done at the end of this year, Bud Elliott with CBS sports 24 seven. Um, I, I just think, I guess for me, I'm going to have to believe it when I see it for him to be actually for him to be done. Um, I know I referenced 2019 and it's not the same, but it is, but it's not. There's a chance that they just have a mass of players come back and do it next year when you're not necessarily expecting it. You know, we didn't expect Mac Jones to be the truth. And then he was, you know, at least in college, he's, he was for that one year. So um, he hasn't quite done it in the NFL just yet, but uh, yeah, they, they very well could. I don't know if his coordinators are necessary, you know, Maybe they don't quite get it. Maybe he needs to bring back, you know, Jeremy Pruitt to be the DC and <laughs> that kind of stuff. I don't know. Uh, maybe he does need a kind of a culture change again. Maybe he needs that rather than it being, you know, the continuity piece. And then it might re-energize him to, you know, get back to teaching because he teaches the coaches just like he teaches the players. So long answer. No, I don't think he's done. I'll believe it when I see it. I'm with you. I'm just like, you know, if you can't do it with Bryce Young and Will Anderson, how much longer do you want to do this, man? Right. Uh, he will eventually be done. Um, but Alabama moves to two losses, likely – not likely, they're done. Because, again, the, their chance to get in with two losses would be winning the, the SEC West, yeah. winning the SEC, and that is extremely – I mean, 1% of that happening. LSU's got to lose twice, and – I don't see him losing twice. They could lose once. I don't see him losing twice. Um, yeah. So, uh, Bama LSU. Let's go to our next upset, Daniel Clemson. Boat this race, was surprising. man. This Boat was race. The, the fashion in which it happened was the most surprising part. It was not that Clemson losing a game because they've played close a few times. It was that this team, this Notre Dame team, with a backup quarterback, now granted, he's been the starter since they've been winning games, Drew Pine. Uh, but with, with I'm still calling him a backup quarterback because their starter is out for the season. Um, and just, you know, a, a, a solid, medium, good offense, not a great elite offense. And then a defense that can be had um, – but they were at home. And I mean, I got to give credit to Marcus Freeman. I just think he did a phenomenal job having his team ready to go. And I think they keyed in on a few things on Clemson's offense to really limit them. And I think that they had confidence that Clemson was not going to score on them. And they played like it. That's how they played. 
Um, obviously, they had defensive score. Was it two defensive scores? I know that there was one defensive score for sure. Pick six. Um, I'm asking you, you were driving back from Athens when the game was being played initially. I have, so. I have the drive charts pulled up. So um, there was a punt block <laughs> return for a touchdown and a pick six. Okay. So that's what it was. So two non-offensive touchdowns. Um, but even if you take those away, they still win. You know, that was – it was it was big momentum, uh, and and Clemson had to kind of change how they played. But um, you know Notre Dame at home, I just come away very impressed and really yearning for if Notre Dame would have just won against Stanford at a minimum, then their two losses. You Not know Marshall at home. <laughs> well, I, I'll say this from I was listening to Tim O'Malley. He was on Chuck Oliver's show. Tim O'Malley writer for uh, goirish.com or, or what Irish 24-7, whatever their 24-7 site is. He stated that but it was kind of a rookie mistake by Marcus Freeman putting so much into the Ohio State game that they had a lack of focus but in the, in the Marshall game. So explaining it away was something that you could do with that loss. What you couldn't explain away is losing to a team like Stanford. So that's really the where the crux of that all comes in. If you could just have <laughs> beaten Marshall and beaten Stanford, then you're talking about a team that's l- likely at this point for the playoff with how this picture is kind of shaping up. If your only losses to Ohio State, if Ohio State eliminates Michigan at the end of the year, and you know, then you're kind of looking at a good at large bid, even with one loss, if it's just to Ohio State, close, you know, so. That's something to, you know, kind of think about. I think that not to harp on Brian Kelly being a phenomenal coach, but if Brian Kelly's coaching this team, they don't lose those two games and they are sitting with just one loss to Ohio State. Um, And that's just the area where Marcus Freeman is growing, not to talk negatively about them right after they beat Clemson, because I do think that that's a phenomenal win and I think maybe a huge momentum uh, for this program going forward under Marcus Freeman. But uh, you got to expect Clemson a little bit reeling because I don't believe this counts as a ACC game since they're just a partner of the ACC in football rather than a member. So this does not count in the ACC win-loss column for Clemson. Um, so I've got to read a phenomenal tweet here. Um I thought you were about to correct me that I was wrong or something. No, no, um, no. So this Clemson's is... still undefeated in the ACC. Yeah. They go, but now Clemson's path includes other chaos for them to make the playoff if they win out and win the ACC. Um, and that's doing a lot of assuming because, you know, Drake May might have something to say about it. Anyways, what's your tweet? Well, it, well that's a question for later, too, is if they win out, are they for sure in? Because I don't think they are. Well, yeah, so I'm saying they need chaos. Chaos yep. would be an issue for them to get in, even being a one-loss conference champion. Yep, exactly. Uh, this is from Joe Giglio, uh, at Giglio underscore OG on Twitter. Related to Louie or no? No idea. Uh, okay. He said, hey, Notre Dame football, totally get the hey, we just want to be on our own thing, but you should really join the ACC. It would be good for you. Uh, this is – the regular season record since losing to Miami on November 11th, 2017. Uh, in 2018, 
against the ACC, 5-0 and against everybody else, 7-0. Uh, that was their undefeated season. 2019, ACC, 5-0, and everybody else, 5-2. and 2020, they went undefeated. 2021, 5-0 against the ACC, 6-1 and versus everybody else. This season, 3-0 and against the ACC, 3-3 and versus everybody else. So since losing to Miami, they are 27-0 and against the ACC and 23-7 and against everybody else. Wow. I mean, in the last five, what is it, four seasons. That's the best, that's the best argument I've heard for Notre Dame to do it. 27 and 0. You'd get, I mean, it's like Clemson. If they would be Clemson, it, you pretty much get a, a nice little march to the, to, yeah. to the playoff. Clemson does this long enough. They're, they're going to wait around long enough to see North Carolina, Florida State, and Miami join them on a, oh, on a Miami. pedestal. No, 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 so. no. North Carolina join them for sure. Florida State, perhaps. <laughs> Florida State. <laughs> Or as uh, you know, friend of the show, Jameis Winston would say, Florida State. You know, Jameis <laughs> Winston. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk more Clemson here in a little bit. Daniel, those were the big three. Uh, I got one we have to mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got it pulled up. I know, you know where I'm going. Liberty. Shout out David McDaniel. Uh, you and I both big on the Hogs to cover. Not only just to win, but we were both doubling down, covering that Easy. 13 and a half point spread. He freeze rolls down there without a top five, you know, potential NFL pick at, you know, at quarterback. Not that Malik Willis ended up being that. Bro, but third string he, quarterback this year. Yeah. So uh, you, the, the one that's playing for them now. Is their yes. third string quarterback? I thought you were going to say Malik Willis. I was like, no, I was no, no, just no. watching Sunday Night Football. He's playing for them right now, so he's no, no, no. Like, he's legit. Like, uh, their two, their first and second string from this year were both out of the game. It it was it was a, a big time spot for them to get up early like they did, and Jacob, they were, you know, when we think of Liberty, at least when I think of Liberty, I mostly think about Hugh Freeze and his relationship to the offense. And what the offense can do, this defense was tackling in space. They were confusing uh, Arkansas. They were frustrating them. They were forcing them out of their regular game plan. Um, they made it very difficult. And then when Arkansas was finally able to figure it out late in the game, it was just that. It was too late for them to do anything um, or at least to make the full comeback. Um, so, you know, shout out to Liberty. Shout out to obviously Hugh Freeze, future head coach at Auburn University, and uh, shout out to David McDaniel for his text to me. Uh, it was all in love, of course, because he's my boy. He said, "I believe it was Boo Pig Suey." Um, <laughs> so you know that might be what they adopt the rest of the year because I believe that's the fourth loss for Arkansas, and they got another one coming this week when they play LSU. So there's that. Love it. Um, Texas won and covered at Kansas State. It was uh, a convincing win against a good team. Almost guarantees Kansas State won't play for the Big 12 championship. Texas, their remaining schedule, as I'm vamping, pulling it up, should have had this ready, uh, they will be favored in every game. And it starts next Saturday, 7.30, when they host TCU. That line opened up as wow. seven point favorites. Seven points. Wow. So 
Texas is seven point favorites over TCU. Yes, sir. You're talking about the number seven team in the country. Well, they're about to be number four, probably. Number four in the AP already, I'll say. Um, yeah, I. we've seen this before, Daniel. Uh, we saw it last Saturday when Vegas opened up an 11, uh, 11 and a half, Georgia, Tennessee. And guess what? That line still would have covered. <laughs> uh, Vegas made a lot of money on that game. I do want to shout out. Thank you, Garrison, for getting me to that game. Uh, you asked if you're going to get shout on the, uh, sh- a shout out on this episode. Garrison. There's your shout out. <laughs> DGD uh, right there, man. DGD. Uh, so yeah, uh, Texas. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stick by it, man. I, I said with Quinn Ewers, I think they're the best team in the Big Twelve. I, as of right now, I think they're going to win out. You don't have to um, pick the game yet. We got. To I know. Tuesday. I'm just. All right. I, I like, the, like this game was like you said a convincing win on the road against a very good team. The offense looked good. The defense shut down Adrian Martinez, uh, who did play in this game. Makes you think, could Will Howard have beaten Texas? Uh, I don't think he would have beaten Texas, but I don't think so. <laughs> I think that he he gives them different. That's the thing. I don't think either one is necessarily better than the other. Uh, they do different things well. Will Howard has been a little bit more effective in the, you know, downfield and intermediate passing. Um, but, I mean, if you're talking about drive charts and stuff, a- Adrian Martinez getting first downs, running the ball, and just keeping you in positive plays. And he has not been turning the ball over this year by and large. So, I don't think he – I think you got two right answers at quarterback, and I think they just ran into a better team. I think that's – the and then you know obviously satisfying the week before seeing Kansas State put put it on those fake Cowboys from the Pokes Okie State so fraudulent um uh, can I, Friday night Oregon State Washington I don't really want to talk about it uh because I took Washington to cover and they won but not obviously by four and a half so you got it with the points. I felt like the, here's the thing. We both made the right call with like pac 12 after dark Friday night kind of craziness. Um, I mean, we, we were on it. Like this game was oh, won yeah. on a, like essentially a last second field goal. So we, we both had the right, you know, principles in place when picking a Friday night Pac-12 after dark game, 10-30 kick, uh, it was just that I thought Oregon State was the better team, and with four and a half points, I believed in them. But I intentionally took the opposite of what I thought. I did the George Costanza. I did the opposite. And I thought it would pay off. And when I saw Washington won, I was really excited, and then I looked at the score, and I was really not excited because – it wasn't enough points. So, yeah, I'm not going to pretend to know the Pac-12 or the Pac-12 after dark on a Friday night. So, the dangerous just have to game. Move on, move on with my life <laughs> uh, and just be okay with that. Um, Bo Nix and Oregon continue to roll. It was just Colorado, but he had a reception for a touchdown as well. Um, Heisman. He, he's in the Heisman category for sure. Um, 
I know you really didn't get any eyes on it, but North Carolina and Virginia had it on a second screen for a while. Very entertaining game. You had two quarterbacks putting it on the line and Brennan Armstrong and obviously Drake May um, really starting to buy in on this North Carolina team. Um, do I think they're a top four team in the country? No, I do not. Do I think that they in this season can be a top 10 team? I do. So um, that defense, I think they can be a top 10 team by season's end. Um, right now, I think they're solid in the top 15. I think that's right where they should be. Defense, you know, isn't phenomenal, but whose defense really is phenomenal this season outside of a, you know, handful of teams at the top and that handful is getting smaller. So I'll tell you a defense that played well. That was NC State's defense played well. Uh, on Saturday, uh, they beat Wake Forest 30 to 21. So, Wake Forest will likely drop out of the CFP rankings. NC State, we both took stay. Wake. We both took Wake. I took NC State. Oh, you did, didn't you? I did. You took them to cover. You thought Wake might win the game. Well, NC State was favored by four and a half, weren't they? I don't know. Or was it Wake? Was, no, no, Wake was favored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did take them to I cover. Thought... Yeah, yeah, Wake was favored. I just pulled it back up. Come um, on, Jake. Throw me off my look, game. Make it sound like we're not professionals out no, here. Like lot, we don't lot, do this for a living. A lot of games. On, a lot of lines. Uh, yeah, shout out to Wake. Uh, MJ Morris, first freshman quarterback to start a game at NC State since Phillip Rivers. So, shout out to him. Gets a dub in his first win. Three touchdowns, uh, 210 yards. So, and that defense kind of shut Wake down. I mean, three interceptions off Sam Hartman. And I think that's just how you beat Wake is just get him to throw some picks. <laughs> that's how it's been so far this year. Uh, so in the battle of who's the second best team in the ACC, well, maybe North Carolina is going to have something to say about that. But in the Atlantic, it uh, looks like it's NC State. So even with a backup quarterback. Daniel, I'm tapped out on games. You got any more? You know, I jokingly talked about the uh, the Pac-12 and, you know, how we don't really know what we don't know out there. I Let me put it this way. I think Oregon's very good. Um, and I think there's two other, you know, above average to good teams. I, I don't want to say above average. UCLA and USC are good. Um and so I'm interested to see how this plays out and if it's going to be Oregon eventually playing for a playoff spot. Um, because I do think that they are one of the few teams in the Pac-12 that's good on both sides of the ball. So uh, that's just something to keep in mind. I think these other teams can score with Oregon, but, you know, Oregon, Dan Lanning is head coach. A little more talent on the defensive side. Um, I think they could pose some issues for whoever they play. So, again, I know they play Colorado. I know USC played Cal. I know UCLA played Arizona State. But, you know, what really are those teams? Um, they get, you know, Arizona State scored 36. Cal scored 35. You look at Colorado, they only scored 10. So, I mean, just throwing it out there. That's something to kind of keep 
put a little tab on. Keep an eye on it. So the good thing is we're going to get a little bit of round robin from those top four teams in the Pac-12. So uh, Oregon still has to play Utah and at Oregon State. Don't count that game out just yet. Uh, Consider me counting it out. Hey, don't count out Jonathan Smith now. Uh, that's, that's my Beavers you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, USC's got to play at UCLA and they get Notre Dame at home, who's looking a lot this better. This is different. This is different. And we, we circled that game beginning of the year. Then it was like, oh, well. Middle of the year, we kind of <laughs> gave it up around the Stanford loss. Yep. And then now, okay. Now, UCLA is really only, they got USC left. They have Arizona and Cal, but I mean, they got USC left. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, Utah. that game. I'm I'm just hoping because is that the last game of the season for them? I would imagine. So they play second to last week of the season. Oh, okay. Because USC ends with Notre Dame. Yep. Well, then, still, what I was wanting to say, both of them just still having one loss. Is USC have a loss? Right. I'm not crazy. Yes, they lost to Utah. Yeah. So, so U- if USC, USC wins that game, UCLA will have one loss when they play, uh, you know, at, at least what we expect. And then obviously USC plays Notre Dame the next week where, you know, if USC wins, they could still get their second loss and both of them essentially be eliminated. But, you know. The only two should. teams that can – well, no, I take that back. Uh, Oregon's the only team that controls its own destiny in the Pac-12. Obviously, they haven't lost a game in the Pac-12 yet, but – Right. You know, you've, you've got the UCLA. If they went out, they have the head-to-head with Utah. So, like, they get in. Uh, if USC wins out, Utah has a head-to-head against USC, so they still need Utah right. to lose. Uh, and then Utah, of course, if they went out, they are – no, they need, they, need, they need USC to beat UCLA right. to get in. And so, Utah, one of their losses, obviously, is to Florida out of conference. So – well, Utah um, is playing Oregon. So actually, if they beat they so they control their own destiny still, because if they beat Oregon, they will have, they will have had a tiebreaker tiebreaker that against makes Oregon. Sense. I'm so glad they got rid of divisions. This is fun. Yeah, because essentially it's just have, still kind of funny because you know they're still playing a division schedule just without the division. Right. right. So it's still a little confusing uh, at this point, but not not so much of. You can just look at the top teams, but I mean, hey, Pac-12 is going to be you know watchable for these last couple of years before uh, UCLA and USC jettison out for the Big Ten. Daniel, Tuesday night we are going to get some fresh college football playoff committee rankings. Fresh, uh, nice and fresh. Uh, I'll go first here. I want to know how you would rank the top four. And then what you think the committee will do. Uh, my top four, pause for dramatic effect. Uh, well, there's one obvious thing. Put it right here on the board. Uh, number one is Georgia. <laughs> uh, number one is Georgia. Number two, this is mine, with how I would rank the top four right now. Number two, Michigan. I think looking at Michigan and Ohio State side by side this year, and watching them and looking at the games, I know Ohio State's more talented. I picked them to win the national championship. I think when they're clicking, they are the best team in the country. It's not been the case so far this year. In fact, Michigan's looked more impressive. So Michigan, three Ohio State, four 
Tennessee. Hmm. What I think the committee's going to do is Georgia one, Ohio State two, Michigan three, and I think they're I think they're going to keep Tennessee at four. You think so? My logic there is how low they had TCU last week, and they talked about teams mm-hmm. having balance, and then TCU was down 10 in the fourth quarter this week again. And so they keep winning, but the committee obviously doesn't believe in TCU. I'll be surprised if they all of a sudden were impressed with another close win. And I think, again, I think the committee is capital C casuals. They're going to look at a 14-point loss and be like, that wasn't that bad. Against yeah. Georgia, I don't think they watched the game, so I think they keep Tennessee in the top four. What say you? Yeah, I. It's very similar, obviously, because so Georgia's number one. Um, I think part of this is me just projecting my own gut on what's going to happen, which is not what I should be doing. I guess you know that comes later, but uh, I just I think that. Ohio State's better when they're fully healthy um, and, you know, when they play Michigan, I think they'll be at their best. Uh, so I do have Ohio State two. I have Michigan three. I think those three are the obvious top three in whatever order you put. That at least includes Georgia at number one. Um, that's kind of what I expect. As far as four goes, it's four, very it's tough. This would it, it is because this would be the obvious if Clemson would have just taken care of business even by one point, you probably just slot them in here because um, of a road win against Notre Dame. Them not doing that uh, causes you to kind of really evaluate, you know, like what we were just talking about, obviously like one loss teams and undefeated teams as far as who is deserving of that of that position. Um before we were talking about it, it was tough for me to keep Tennessee in the top four. Uh, now, kind of thinking through it a little more, it basically comes down to to TCU or or Tennessee um, so, because obviously Alabama dropping out, Clemson's probably going to drop down a couple pegs uh, specifically because of the nature of the loss, right, not just right. not just losing on the road to Notre Dame. It was losing handily to Notre Dame who is not you know they're a three loss team they're a three loss team it's not you know the brand carries to a certain extent but not that that much um and then I guess I guess I'm really I guess Oregon is also in that so Oregon Oregon TCU and and Tennessee Oregon was blown out more by Georgia. So I guess I would have to take them behind Tennessee. Yeah. Tennessee would be, you know, had played Georgia in Athens and played closer than, than Oregon on a neutral field. It was in Atlanta. Um, And I guess part of me is thinking if, if I put Tennessee and, and TCU on a neutral field, who do I think would win? Cause that, that kind of comes into it as well. And I would probably favor, Tennessee by at least a touchdown. So, yeah, by kind of deducting it that way, I'm going to go Tennessee as four. How high does LSU go? This I'll be really interested in. They're at least number seven. I think maybe six. 
they got to be seven, I think. That would put them behind Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, Tennessee, Oregon. Like, I think those are your top six. And that's reasonable. But do they do they sneak ahead of some of these teams? Do they sneak ahead of an Oregon? Do they sneak ahead of a Tennessee? I don't know. Well, not a Tennessee. They don't sneak ahead Tennessee of Tennessee. Tennessee. They yeah. got the head-to-head, yeah. and Tennessee's got just one less loss. So I think that that solidifies them. But um, – I mean Auburn Auburn twenty seventeen is why I bring it up is yeah. I don't think path. you can take off the table a two loss LSU team in the playoff. Because the path well, is if they beat that Georgia you beat Bama team. and you beat undefeated Georgia. I think you're in. Oh, they're in. They're in. And if Florida State keeps Florida State dominating Miami, we didn't even talk about it, but that was we, we didn't talk about it on purpose because it's not really a story, but forty five to three. This is new era in in Florida State. They are I mean, um, Miami's bad. <laughs> that that's what you do to a bad team though, Jacob. <laughs> that's what you do to a bad team. Forty five to three. They, they quit. Oh, they gosh. weren't messing around. They weren't messing around. Florida State, I think, uh, you see down the stretch this Florida state team, which obviously the reason I'm referencing them is the win at the beginning of the season against LSU, which was a very tight game. Um, and, you know, close there all the way till the end. Uh, so Florida state, you know, as they keep winning, I think that also will keep legitimizing LSU in a sense that, Hey, that early loss was to a quality opponent on a neutral field. Um, yes, it was in new Orleans, but neutral field, um, so I don't know. You could definitely see, I think you absolutely could see that they definitely have a path, just like what you were talking about, uh, with a potential two loss champion and who better to be a two loss, the first two loss team in the CFP than the first ever two loss BCS national champion LSU. They know how to do it. My friend, they know how to do it. They do. Uh, lastly, Daniel projecting to the end of the season. As of today, it's November 6th. Who do you think's in the top four at the end of the year? November 6th. Happy birthday, Preston. I texted you this morning. Uh, I'm not going to put Auburn in the top four for you, but happy birthday nonetheless. Um, or Arkansas. Sorry. Or Arkansas. Uh, or Georgia Southern. Um, but I do think – so I think – the way it's going, I don't think that – like the kryptonite to me for Georgia would be Bryce Young, and they're not going to have to play Bryce Young. So I think that this Georgia team remains undefeated and wins the SEC. I do have confidence kind of looking at that clear picture now for Georgia. So Georgia projecting them as number one. Like I said, I was leaning on that a little bit with Ohio State-Michigan – I think Ohio State beats Michigan, but I don't think that necessarily means Michigan's out. So Ohio State's number two, and they're the conference champion, so they're number two. And then number three, I'm going to go ahead and put, I think that Oregon finishes the year and wins enough and gets in conference champion Oregon only lost to Georgia beginning of the year. And I think that Oregon, Jacob, 
is going to box out Tennessee because I think if it's a close loss for Ohio State and Michigan, I think Michigan gets put in at number four ahead of Tennessee. Tennessee's five. Reason I'm saying this is because a Pac-12 champion that lost to Georgia has an extra data point than if they were just two equally 11-1 and one teams that both lost to Georgia between Oregon and Tennessee. Oregon having that game loss, but basically getting better the whole season and then eventually um, obviously winning the conference. So that's right now. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, I have three of the same teams as you, except I disagree. I, I So my one, two, and four are exactly the same. Georgia, Ohio State, and Michigan. Uh, I think Tennessee boxes Oregon out, even if they went out. Um, I, I think strength of schedule is going to matter. I will, So Oregon's got Utah left, and then whoever they'll play in the Pac-12 championship if they win that game. And I think looking at their complete resume, you're still going to look at Tennessee's resume and then look at head-to-head. Because, again, conference championship is a tiebreaker. So is similar opponents. Like, that's not like one's weighted over the other. I guess we'll see which one they consider more. Right. Obviously, their common opponent, it's obvious who it should be. But that same token, conference championship, it's obvious who it should be. So. Well, and that's where it's the, you know, Tennessee was in the Pac-12. What would they have done to the Pac-12 this year uh, with right. this team? So, I think Tennessee, at this point, I would pick Tennessee to still get in. Um, as well as Ohio State and Michigan at this point. There's I mean, a lot to be of college fair, football. Bo Nix has beaten Alabama before, so there's a translate. I also think I'm a big believer in Oregon. <laughs> I wonder how they're gonna look against Utah and then if they were to play a USC. Different style teams like UC, USC, UCLA, and Utah are all very, very different. The teams. perception of the Pac twelve is definitely hurt because of Florida beating Utah, if Utah does anything to ruffle up that Pac-12 picture out there, and then obviously what Georgia did to Oregon, and then what Notre Dame might do to USC, who knows? Pac-12 is good this year. Don't count them out. Uh, A lot of good teams at the top. Be sure to follow us on social media and on YouTube at the Extra Point Pod. You can follow Daniel on Twitter at Deep South Daniel. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Carnes with a K. We will be back Tuesday night. We will react to the new playoff rankings as well as pick our week 11 games. But that will do it for this edition of the Extra Point. He is Daniel. I am Jacob. Bye.